Welcome to the Mainland Podcast, everybody. Yeah, it's been a rough couple of weeks, but uh, we're hanging in there. You know, we're we're going down the home stretch here of the inaugural MLS season for Orlando City. We're we're still behind the team because that's who we are, and um, you know we've we've got a lot, little bit to talk about. We didn't get to to have one of these last week. We had uh, some scheduling issues. Um, but I think last week's would probably have been a lot like this week's anyway. So anyway, I'm Michael Citro, the managing editor and founder of the mainland.com, uh, SB nation site. That's where you can find us. You can follow us on Twitter at, at the mainland and at main is M A N E like a lion's mane. Uh, joining me this week, Daniel McGann and Andrew Harrison. Hey guys, what's going on? Hey, everything's going uh, well, uh, except for the play of Orlando city, of course, but we always have the future to look forward to. Yeah, and we've always got. There's always another game right around the corner, even if it is getting close to the end of the season. That's right. So uh, since we last had a podcast episode, we have uh, we have uh, seen the team lose badly at Seattle and badly at Toronto, and not finish with the requisite eleven players on the field in either one of those games. And uh, in addition, we've seen the team go up to Louisville to play a, a really badly timed, friendly, uh, and a bunch of backups managed to lose 3-1 to a USL side. So uh, it has not been a friendly couple of weeks for the Lions. And uh, it's, uh, you know, guys, I I just think you can't really look at these games with any kind of objectivity in terms of of how the team played because the the games were basically ruined in the first half, both of them. So, um you know, you go to Seattle, and the team was hanging in there, sort of playing that that road game, that typical road game that you want to play, trying to, to limit chances. They did give up the uh, the goal to to uh, Obafemi Martins, um, and then uh, Tyler Turner took two yellow cards. And uh, despite being in the game uh, until that point, they they unraveled after that. And then against Toronto, you know. <laughs> They're holding their own in that game, and uh, Ramos gets a, a red card and, and, and a, a, a extremely questionable one, in my opinion. And uh, their game's ruined in the first half there, and then they, they go on to, to get shellacked in that game. So, uh, Daniel, we'll start with you. I mean, is is Orlando City getting a little bit of MLS uh, first-year hazing uh, by pro referees, or is this a reputational thing where people just think they're a dirty team, so anything that's borderline is going to get called, or... Is it just a matter of them not, you know, gaining the respect yet of the, of the, you know, being in, you know, MLS players, or what? What do you think is the problem with this barrage of red cards and and bookings? Well, we can look at a lot of different areas. Whether it was the beginning of the year and the diving issue we had at the beginning, maybe we got a bad rep um, there. I think it's it's tied to youthful exuberance. Uh, honestly, we've seen Ramos get a couple red cards now. Um, just being quick and aggressive. Uh, you saw Tyler Turner get those two yellows against Seattle, um, bang, basically not being able to control himself within the tackle, uh, going in too often. We go to ground too often, of course. Um, but there's there's so many different things to explain it. We can't pin it to one thing. I would, I, I don't want to say um, that it's a lack of leadership on the field because that's a much bigger issue or a lack of leadership from the, from the bench. Uh, that is a, a bigger issue as a whole, but um, I, I would say it's probably youthful exuberance right now. People trying to play a little too fast for themselves uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Andrew, I, 
first of all, I don't want to make this a, a referee bashing podcast because we're not here to do that. I mean, I don't really have a problem with either of Tyler Turner's yellow cards, except with the exception of that when a player has a yellow card already, what Tyler Turner did for the second yellow card, typically you're going to get that one, all right, that's your last one warning from the referee. Usually a veteran player would get that. Now, Tyler Turner is not a veteran player. He's a very young player, did not get the benefit of that. And, um, you know, it's it, it, I, I can't really complain about some of the red cards. I mean, Ramos' first one against Columbus, where there's no question that's a red card. Um, Aurelian Collin in the you know inaugural game, that's that's probably a red card almost every time. I mean, I don't have problems with some of these some of these bookings. But Andrew, when you look at this last game in Toronto, thirteen fouls, six brought cards, and they weren't like malicious cards. I mean, one of the things that that kind of drove me crazy was getting a card. For example, Vinter's first card, it was a hard challenge, more or less shoulder to shoulder, but he kind of cut off Gio, Giovinco a bit. That one to me is a is a yellow because it's Giovinco. That that one to me is not a real yellow card. And there were a few others that were kind of similar in that in that vein. What do you make of six cards coming out on thirteen fouls compared to Toronto getting two cards on fifteen fouls? I think what it's really starting to boil down to, and this is going to sound weird, but I think it's frustration. Um, it's frustration on the part of the players, just seeing what's going to earn them a card, but it's also frustration on the part of the referee that, you know, they're giving that warning card and then we're not adjusting our style of play. We're just continuing to make some of those kind of changes where the referee's already sent the benchmark. I mean, you, 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 can, you highlight some of the cards that were completely certain red cards like Ramos's hack in the first Columbus game. And then since then, I think we've just been completely frustrated at we're doing what was fouls that we would not even consider a card and I think we saw that in Ramos's reaction in the Toronto game and we're getting sent off for it um, I would say that I think that that referee took a little while to get a hold of that game because I really remember watching it and I thought Higita could have had a yellow card pretty early on um, and the referee let it slide a bit and I think we're just it's frustration that's just getting to us but it's also getting coming from the referees as well well, here's the thing that I think is it's hard to know how to adjust and how to play when you see calls going a certain way and then it's not consistent. I mean, for for example, uh, I go back to the D.C. game, Davey Arnault playing on a, a yellow card, and the dissent he showed to the referee and the disrespect he showed for the referee time and time again after being on a yellow and not getting that second mm-hmm. yellow that's not something that, that a Krishna Gita or a Darwin Saren could get away with, certainly. Um, and, and, you know, Arno may have earned that by being a veteran in the league, and, and these referees know who he is. But you can't, you can't tell me that a, a, a tackle one way uh, that doesn't get any cards, you know, you do it a, a much lesser offense the other way and you get sent off. I mean, it, here's, what, here's what it boils down to to me. The inconsistency is so bad that three players, two in the Vancouver game alone, have been suspended for a game after playing Orlando City. In, in, a, in situations where they didn't get cards, in some of those situations, didn't even get cards. So you see that, and you go, okay, well, that's the way the game's being called, so I can play like this. And then you get sent off. And, you know, 
to me, I, I don't know what we can do about this, but it, it certainly, if you look at, and I've watched MLS games with other teams, and I've seen, I've seen some inconsistencies in other games, but I haven't seen the kind of discrepancy in other games that I've seen in, in you know, watching the Lions this year, and, and it's probably because I've seen all of the Lions games and only some of the other games. But I can tell you this, you know, watching that game up in uh, in Toronto a few weeks back when there were, you know, what were there four penalty kicks given by Ted Uncle? That's the kind of thing that I think the league just needs to to get their act together with pro referees and. I don't know if you have to bring in guys from Europe. I don't know if you have to increase the salary so you have more full-time referees. I don't know what you need to do. Daniel, what's your take on it? We just have to, to set the bar higher for the referees. I mean, across the, the league in MLS, this is not new to anyone that the referees are an issue. Uh, in MLS and CONCACAF as a whole, ML, uh, referees are an issue. Um, and you never want to see them be... Uh, the reason why a game is being played a certain way. You want to see the teams playing the way they want to. You want to see Orlando, who plays an open, quick style of soccer with possession and involved, play the way they want to. And unfortunately, uh, with the state of the referees right now, we're not able to do that. Uh, I can't say what would be the best way to move forward for MLS, whether it is bringing outside help in, but I think training from the, the, the bottom levels up to the top is where it needs to go, and we need to definitely have more full-time referees because what we have right now, just it's, it's making the game uh, more about the referee than it is about the players, and that's, that's an issue in any sport. Andrew, what do you think about the, the what do you think the MLS's take is when they hype a big game, nationally televised game between Orlando City and Seattle? And the game effectively is ruined early. I mean, what do you think that they that they see? You know, or what do they? What do you think their take is on that? I think their take is, you know, they can hype the game as much as they want, but if the players that are on the field don't feel it, you know, you're just not going to get that game. And especially when you see a card go down early um, and take a, you know, the wind out of the, the sails of that team that loses that man, it's really hard to keep highlighting those games. But I think that. Really, what it comes down to, MLS makes this thing for its own back. I mean, it does a five to eight minute special every week called Instant Replay, which just highlights questionable calls. And most of the time, the guy seems to go the other way from the referee. It's rarely 50 50. They highlight the sheer, sometimes odd elements that this game produces. And I think, in terms of bringing in full-time referees, I don't think that works. The Premier League doesn't have full-time referees. Most of them have still got other jobs. They're lawyers, accountants, and, you know, they still make mistakes, but there is a lot more accountability. They get demoted leagues. um, They get games off. They get suspended. They do get fined. Um, I think you really just have to have accountability across the board, and that starts with the league stopping highlighting the bad calls every single week. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that there's uh, certainly they're trying to get clicks. They're trying to get page views from the controversy. So, you know, maybe that doesn't bother them that there is controversy. But th- there's always controversy in soccer. We know that. But the kinds of contro- controversies that we've seen have just been – they just seem like Orlando's been a little hard done. And, I, and I, again, I go back to that six cards on 13 fouls. That's ridiculous. I mean, that percentage should n- almost never happen unless guys are really – going in 
in you know in dangerous fashions. And I don't think that that was necessarily the case at Toronto. I don't think that there were a lot of dangerous fouls in that game. Um, that game wasn't being cars. played at that pace. You know, those are the types of things where you know you see three back to back because you you just it's being played at such a high pace. That wasn't happening in that game. That was just the referee making odd calls sometimes, and I think that really hurt that game, and it's hurt us several times this season, but we do have to learn to control ourselves, and if we know we're being watched, we have to rein it in. Yeah, one of the things that I've seen, and Daniel, maybe you can weigh in on this, somebody's saying, well, Ramos doesn't have to go in for that challenge and put himself in that position, and my my response to that is, well, no defender ever has to go in for a challenge. But what kind of way is that to defend and pressure the ball? I mean, I mean, what what is your take on it when you when you hear people say, well, you know, that could have all been avoided if they didn't uh, if they didn't play aggressively? How do you how do you curb that aggress- aggression when you know Adrian Heath wants pressure on the ball? Uh, you you can never get upset with a player playing aggressively. Uh, we have aggressive players on our team. Ramos, one of his greatest attributes is being aggressive and using his speed and play. Uh, and then trying to curb that at, a, at his age would just stunt his growth. That's not something we necessarily want to do. He needs to get smarter about when he goes into certain areas of the field for tackles uh, and how fast he goes into them. Because being a fast player, anytime he goes into a tackle at the amount of speed that he can put behind himself, it's going to make it look a little bit more dangerous than most other defenders. And that's the thing he has to learn. Um, and, and that's just learning how to play within his abilities. Now, I don't want to harp on cards, and I don't want to harp on plays too much. Uh, I want to take a look at a, a few other areas of the field because Orlando just hasn't played well lately. We haven't, it, outside of the cards alone, even when we were uh, we had 11 guys on the field, we still weren't playing well. We had one shot on goal in between Seattle and Toronto, and in the Toronto game, even though with the two red cards, we had 35% of possession. That is. That, that's atrocious uh, from my end. I don't want to harp on Orlando playing bad. Uh, the cards, of course, are going to play into a little bit, but we just have not looked good at all in any facets. Yeah, 10 men is, is going to certainly affect possession. It's certainly going to affect shots. Um, the midfield has been a problem, and, I, and I'll get to that in a minute. The, the last thing I want to say about the cards is that uh, maybe perhaps the referees need to do a little bit better job of preparing for the game one thing that I noted that, that you know from the game at Toronto is that to me the Ramos challenge was mistimed and a little bit clumsy, but his studs were not up. He didn't go in and, and hack the guy intentionally. To me, that's the kind of foul you make when you've been out for a month and your timing is off. I mean, that's just that's just my take on it. That, you know, you're out of the lineup and maybe you know the referee does his homework. He knows okay, this guy just mistimed his his run. You know, I'm going to give him a warning. You know, maybe don't ruin the game on the guy's first foul. You know, uh, and that's a, I think that's we've covered the cards. I think we're we're good on that. I don't want to really talk about the officiating anymore because it just makes me nauseous. And <laughs> I just I just ate a little while ago, so I don't want to be nauseous. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about the midfield a little bit. And I know Kaká is getting he's getting creamed by fans and some people in the media. I know Taylor Twelman was talking about how he needs to take over the game because he's a designated player. But Andrew, let me ask you an attacking midfielder: If he's not getting the ball from the defensive midfield and his fullbacks, how can he impact the game to the, uh, to the level that people expect a to impact the game? 
I, I just don't think he can. I mean, I wrote about it last week. Um, with all of our injuries and suspensions, first of all, we haven't developed any sort of consistency, you know. We haven't had the same defensive midfielders due to international call-ups and everything else that's happened. Um, we just also haven't had that ability to spread the ball out wide. And so two people are staying on Kakaro at all times, and it's just starting to get repetitive. We're playing the same game week in, week out, so teams are coming in having watch tape, and they know exactly what to do. We don't have the ability to break it down, and I really think it's unfair to ask this one guy who's playing in a league that his exponentially rose in quality, I would say, this season over last season. And we, it's just showing. I don't think he came in and expected to this be this hard, and we've had other DPs talk this week about how hard this league has been compared to what they were expecting, and I think he's starting to suffer from it. I think he's probably wishing the season was starting to be over with these kind of results. He's not really seen these kind of losses in his career before either. And that's tough to stomach sometimes when you're the face of a franchise and you can't make the difference. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, one of the criticisms I, I see about Kaká is that he's been dribbling into traffic and losing the ball a lot. And people say that in one breath, and in the next breath they say he's not doing enough. Well, here's a guy who's trying to do too much, maybe, because mm-hmm. the guys around him are not in sync with him, and they need to be in sync with him. At Seattle, was it Seattle or Toronto? We saw him in a recent game yell at Kyle Laren because he made a 50-yard run to get into the box, and Laren had the opportunity to get him the ball on the run, and Laren decided to take the ball toward the corner instead. Uh, and then he lost it anyway. So, um, you know... People think, oh, well, why is he yelling at Laren? Laren didn't do anything wrong. Well, obviously he did. One of them is a former World Player of the Year. The other is a rookie in MLS. So which one do you think is right, Daniel? Yeah, you know, a problem that we've had with Kaká is we saw this at the beginning of the year. Molino and Kaká had a a good connection at the beginning of the year. They were moving off each other well, making passes into the box. They were finding those little holes that we can't find now, and I think that's because they have that attacking flair. We've seen Kyle Laren pick that up, uh, but nobody else really on our roster has that. And Kaká's basically on an island for 90 minutes trying to create things on his own. That's why you see him dribbling into two or three guys and trying to create, and basically like exactly like you said, trying to do too much. I, I wish we would have pulled in somebody in the transfer window uh, to help him out, but again, that was a front office uh, decision on whether or not you know, we wanted to make that big push now or maybe in the fall, and it could be better for us in the fall um, to, to do something then. But Kaká's trying to do too much because he's really the only one carrying that weight on the offensive side. Kyle Laren, for everything that he's done this year, he's looked great as a rookie. He's exactly that. He's a rookie. He shouldn't be a guy that we're relying on to put the ball in the back of the net all the time. Uh, we should be bringing in other players to do that, but we just we just haven't had that happen. Yeah, and you bring up a you bring up a point about Kyle Laren and and about the who we should be relying on to score that I I really like to get out there because this is a there's a misconception I think by our fans by Orlando City fans I should say uh, and supporters that because Brian Rochez and Car, uh, Carlos Rivas have the designated player designation or title they should be on the field scoring goals and creating magic. But I think in this case, Andrew, 
Orlando City went out and spent money on guys that will be good in the future that they need to develop that are very, very young. These, This is not your typical designated player. This is not Clint Dempsey. This is not Obafemi Martins. These are young DPs, which is a different designation than designated player. Young DPs are guys that you bring in to try to develop into into better players and that you plan on somewhere down the road once they do make that development and that leap then you sell them off to the to the European leagues and and you know you turn those around and you 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 know benefit from that these are not guys that we should be expecting to come in and and play big minutes and and, and score tons of goals i mean that would be like expecting Tommy Redding and Tyler Turner to be all-stars right now. That's just not the reality of what a young designated player is, is it, Andrew? No, it's not. I mean, the the young DP designation is there to allow MLS teams to take risks on players that want that little bit more money to come to this league. They allow the team to have a little bit more protection in the event of contract situations and anything else arising. It's about making sure that that money is there without hurting the team across the board, that they can take a risk on these players. And the DP designation is always a risk, whether or not it's young DP or whether or not it's a regular DP. Are you paying the guy too much money? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? Is he getting enough playing time? Is he hurt? But these young DPs, these are people that, okay, you've got to remember that most of the time, for both Rochez and Rivas, this is the first time they've really ever played outside of their home country. They came to a foreign country, they didn't know English, they've had to learn an entire new style of play in an entirely different league, and we can't expect that from those people straight away. The young DP tag has unfairly tarnished them, but I will say this, I feel like Rivas was almost one of the only people trying in yesterday's game for certain portions of it. Um, and it it was... It's hard to see him, them get so much flack over their DP designation just because they're not banging in goals. Right. It's, it's not their fault that they were in high demand. I mean, Orlando City went up against European clubs and said, we're going to pay them the extra money to get them in and and develop them. And and that doesn't mean they're ready right now. For all intents and purposes, Orlando City has one designated player. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think fans need to realize, is that we have one designated player. Maybe you can make a case that we have two, because they paid down Breck Shea's salary. Breck Shea is really designated player number two, if you want to get technical. But these young DPs, they're not. They're not the... Uh, you know they're not supposed to be Giovinco, and and quite frankly, even veteran players that come into, come to MLS or any league, it takes a year to to really, you know, learn that league and what it's about, and and the grind of of coming to America. I mean, the travel here is is unlike anything that they've experienced in their other leagues. I mean, traveling around Spain or traveling around Italy, that's not like traveling around the United States and Canada. It's not the same thing. So I think people need to just uh, chill out just a little bit on Rivas and. Uh, and Rochez, and what I think is going to really help is this uh, targeted allocation money. It's really going to help because it's going to enable Orlando City in the off season when prices are more reasonable uh, to pay down those young DPs and actually get other DPs to help Kaká out and to help Breck Shea and those guys. So I think that's where we're at. Um, it, it's it's been a real bad patch, and I think it's not. Um, I, I, as, as much as we thought that Breck Shea wasn't having a great season, it's awfully interesting to me that this bad run of form started when he went down with the injury. Um, I, I just find that incredibly interesting. It's, it's, I think, one win since he's been down, one or two wins since he's, he's gone down. And, and that's, 
that's uh, that says a lot about the attention he was drawn from from opponents. Uh, we're going to get to Chicago in just a bit, but why don't we get to this week's guest? Uh, he is he's one of our regulars, and uh, let's give him a call right now. All right, joining us now is our good friend and Louisville correspondent Jeff Milby, who was at this week's friendly Orlando City versus Louisville City. And uh, Jeff, I mean, I guess I'm, I, I want to start out by asking you your, your thoughts overall on the match. I mean, did it look to you like uh, a team that's really um, gelling and playing well against a bunch of backups on a team that's in disarray? Because that's kind of what it looked like to me. Uh, I would agree with that uh, for the most part. I, I think the biggest factor for the way it went down last night was that Louisville really wanted the game. And which was surprising to me because I didn't really expect them to take it so seriously. But they that was that was a first choice lineup for them, and they were working as hard as they've worked all season. Matt Fondy was running as hard as he's ran all season, and so I, I, I wouldn't read too much into it past that. Honestly, I think it's just Louisville wanted the game really badly. What about the uh, the field conditions? I, I mean, the baseball stadium setup. Um I don't know how how hard has it been for opponents uh, coming into Louisville City to adjust to the field. It's been pretty. Uh, a lot of the, a lot of the teams have complained about it, and uh, frankly, it's not good. We've talked about it a little bit, um, but last night I can only remember uh, one or two instances where an Orlando player slipped on the turf. But that's been the biggest um, issue all year: is that turf that's over the dirt infield, and in uh, all four corner flags are on that turf. Um, it's just really slick. It's uh, it's just like plain old school astroturf um, carpet, essentially. And every game, it's it's guaranteed to happen every game. We call it the turf monster in the press box. That every every game someone slips and falls. <laughs> so I mean, I, I'm sure it was a factor. I'm sure that Orlando, you know, being an MLS team now, they're not used to that sort of field condition. But um, I don't know that it was too much of a factor. I mean, it only happened a couple times that I can think of. And well, and the pitcher's mound was wasn't in, in its best condition last night. It was a little bumpy. Um, well, well, let's be honest about the game. Orlando just didn't play well. I mean, uh, Jeff, from what you saw, what what did you see issue wise from Orlando? Was it just they were they? Of course, they couldn't pass the ball uh, at all. Uh, they couldn't complete any passes. But um, what did you see with them going forward that was the issue? We just couldn't com- uh, get them any chances on goal at all whatsoever. Uh, for me, Roches and Ribeiro were really non-existent. Um, they didn't really get too much involved in the game. It, going forward, it was a lot of Rivas and uh, uh, Venter had a few chances late in the game when he came on, but uh, they just really didn't get very strong play from any of the, the guys up top, I didn't think. I mean, everyone's been talking about how they couldn't pass, and... Uh, you know that that certainly I think was true. You know for n- numerous reasons, it's a bunch of young guys that aren't necessarily on the field together all the time. Um, but it was really just a matter of of uh, I hate to go back to it, but uh, they just weren't as aggressive as Louisville was. They didn't they didn't have the the, the effort. I didn't think not that, not that they weren't competitive because especially after after Louisville scores they they you know fought back hard and played hard, but it just didn't it it. it it didn't seem like they were ever going to be in the game from the opening whistle, honestly. Like, 
It looked Louisville. like their heart wasn't in it, basically. Is exactly. What you're saying. It, yeah, that's it, exactly what I'm saying. Like Louisville from from the jump, they they had the first chance within the first minute. They they dominated the ball for the most part in the first half, and that's certainly not as a result of their talent. Because looking out on the field, I mean, Ribeiro and and Roches were head and shoulders above both of Louisville's center backs, and 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 Fondi isn't the biggest guy in the world, and and. Uh, Orlando's back line should, you know, should be able to handle him if, if it's just a physical effort thing. But I, I honestly just think their heart wasn't in it. I think it was yeah. a game too far for most of them. I think they just they didn't want it. Whereas Louisville, you know, were using it. The players were using it for marketing because I think definitely Quinn and Brian Burke had something to prove, um, and they came into that game trying to highlight that they had the talent that Orlando City had passed on. And honestly, I don't think we should undersell how the crowd affected the game because it was it was one, it was the biggest crowd of the year. Two, it was easily the loudest crowd of the year from before the game. The players came out for warm-ups, and the fans that were there early gave them a standing ovation, which doesn't normally happen. And it was they it, the crowd was juiced. It was it was, it felt like a big game to Louisville people for whatever reason. I guess you know major league team comes into town, everyone gets amped, but. I think that was a big factor. I think the players certainly fed off of that. Yeah, we've seen that actually in in Orlando here with uh, you know teams like Newcastle coming in uh, in years past, and when MLS teams played uh, you know in U.S. Open Cup, we've seen that the crowd does rise to the occasion for those. And a great crowd, you know, all kudos to Louisville, nine thousand plus in in Louisville Slugger Field uh, Tuesday uh, Tuesday night for uh, you know it was a friendly, a meaningless game. Uh, Orlando City certainly played more like it was a meaningless game than than uh, Louisville did. Um, did you? Ask, I know you were at the game covering it for the mainland. Did you get a chance to talk to Adrian Heath after the game about Brian Burke? I I'm of the opinion that Brian Burke could play in MLS. I I am as well. He's he's one of the biggest, uh, most physically gifted looking players on the team, and he plays really really well. He's the Louisville's attack has been primarily through him, honestly. It's been it's Kadeem Dakers and Brian Burke down the right side all year long, like like Novocaine. That's the line from Remember the Titans. It's just every time every time that we every time Louisville needs to score, it's it's Kadeem Dakers and Brian Burke combination plays all the way down the right side. And I definitely think he could uh, he could play in MLS. And I I don't think anyone around here expects him to stick around after the season. Um, but unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to talk to Heath last night. They uh, he didn't. He did his post game outside the locker room. Meanwhile, I was at the uh, media area, so I ended up getting quotes from someone else. So I didn't get to ask him about Brian Burke, but um, he did mention how um, he was happy for Burke, considering he didn't get to play much last year after breaking his leg. Um, but I think it, I, I do think eventually Burke will get a look in MLS. Do you think that broken leg have had an effect on whether or not Heath wanted him this year? I, I I would say I mean especially you know you got a kid like Rafael Ramos at his position who's you know talented maybe boneheaded but he's talented mm-hmm. um, and and you know considering he didn't get to play much last year it, it it just sort of it makes sense that a guy who got injured and couldn't show off the skills would get get left at the table so to speak when when everyone else left. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you know I think that. Um, <laughs> Louisville City has has some good stuff going on up there. It's it's really been a, a remarkable story. And one thing that this organization and and the extended organization that has broken off to to sort of form Louisville City 
uh, one thing that they're very good at is is being successful in USL. So, um, you know, as somebody that lives there and and goes to Louisville City's games, to see that kind of crowd and the way they reacted to their team uh, playing an MLS club like that, I mean, even if it was a bunch of backups, that that has to feel pretty special for you as a as a Louisville resident uh, to to see that reaction from the the local fans. Yeah, it was it was really uh, heartening to see it last night because. For coming into the game, we honestly we didn't think it would be that big. You know, it, it's a friendly against a, a major league soccer team. Granted, that's that's a big deal, but we didn't think it would be the the event that, or at least I didn't. I shouldn't speak for other people, but I didn't think it would be the event that it was last night. That there was more media coverage at the post game uh, conference than there ever has been. The uh, three of the four local TV stations stayed after, which has never happened. It's only just me and like two other dudes. <laughs> um, and it, you know there there was like local media big shots sitting like Eric Crawford was a columnist for the the Courier Journal, I mean he does stuff for WDRB now, but he was sitting there and that like that was cool. Like I thought that was really neat that he was there and and paying attention. And he wrote a really good story on it, and it's it, it it's it, the same thing. That, and, and I think this it factors into the way that the players played too. The same thing happened after they played Chicago in the U.S. Open Cup. Like the city sort of stood up and took notice because they were playing a big league team. And um, the players mentioned that Charlie Adams mentioned that after the game that they thought that they deserved a result in Chicago, and so that was part of the they wanted to come out and prove themselves against an MLS team this time around. Um, but I think from the city perspective, people just stand up and listen when you're playing a, a, a big or a bigger team. I shouldn't necessarily say that, but and I, I think it's it's certainly a good thing um, for Louisville City in the future because it's there, there's been a lot of talk in, in the media. Yeah, the, the paper particularly about um, a stadium the last week or so, which wasn't really happening much before that. And I think this game just, you know, adds to that conversation a little bit. How much of that reaction do you think was the, the city embracing the team and how much of it do you think was the city saying we want MLS in Louisville, Kentucky? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, the, the city, I feel like, is is embracing the team a lot. I mean, people... People know who Matt Fondy is. He's he's the star of the team, and and he's you know, your 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 run of the mill sports fan in, in Louisville knows who he is now, which is a great thing. Um, but I I do think that the more you dangle the carrot of MLS in front of Louisville, the more they'll uh, answer the call, so to speak. Um, because it, the, Tim Sullivan wrote a good column today in the Courier Journal about how uh, every city in America wants an MLS team right now. And I think Louisville's no exception in that regard. All right, with Jeff Milby, our Louisville City correspondent, um, you know, thanks so much for for joining us and telling us a little bit about last night's game, for, for you know, giving us the flavor, uh, boots on the ground, so to speak, that you got to do last night that none of us Orlando City fans have got to do is to see Tony Cassio play soccer on a, on a soccer field. <laughs> Oh, I guess we had some technical issues there. Lost Jeff Milby, but we were uh, just about wrapping up with him anyway, so we appreciate him coming on uh, as our guest this week to tell us about the friendly uh, between Orlando City and Louisville City FC. Um, guys, let's turn our attention ahead to Chicago this weekend. The Fire and the Lions, uh, they have split their two meetings. Orlando City win- winning 3-2 in Chicago in MLS play and losing 3-1 in Chicago in U.S. Open Cup play. Um during this uh, this run of poor form since the Breck Shea injury, 
Uh, I wanted to kind of get you guys' takes one at a time. We'll start with you, Daniel. What do you think is going to happen against Chicago? This will be the first time we've played them here at home this season. Um, Orlando Citrus Bowl going to make a difference in this one? Uh, I really hope so. I think uh, I think our fans who have stayed true to the club during this downturn can definitely bring some life to the team because it looks like that's exactly what we've been missing is that energy, uh, that, that attitude, and hopefully we can bring that to the stadium. But then again, we're going to be playing with a makeshift right side of our uh, of the field uh, this weekend as well, so that could prove to be a difficulty um, depending upon who the winger is for Chicago coming down. But uh, I'm going to go with a, a prediction of 2-1 Orlando getting off not only the goal schneid but the win schneid as well, uh, and us pulling it out 2-1. All right, Andrew, you uh, what do you think? Do you think Tony Cassio gets the start on the right side, or do you think we're going to go back to the Lewis Neal train? Is, is Breck Shea ready to come back into the lineup? Uh, I think this is going to be a week too early for Breck. I'm probably putting him down. I actually don't even think he's going to make the New England game. I'm going to say that they're going to be cautious, and they're probably going to hold the SKC game unless we don't get a win the next two games, at least against Chicago. They may try to rush him back, but I think we've been there before. Um, I don't think Tony Cassio is going to be good for 90 minutes, so I don't see them risking him. And But I don't know. It's a toss-up right now. I feel like Luton. Lewis Neal has been fairly ineffective the past few games in providing that coverage that Bowden needs. And with the right side being terminally weak, I just don't see them playing a guy that's not match fit and not sharp enough to be able to play 90 minutes and cover Tyler Turner in a game that he hasn't really played much this season either. Um, I'm going to give them 1-1. I do think we break our scoring duck, and I'm going to give it to Laren getting the rookie record goal at home, um, but I do think Chicago will definitely be able to score on us. They still have Pacey Akam. Um, they've lost um, Maloney, who was really a bit of a thorn in their side, and that's going to give power for Ship to move around a little bit more and be a little bit more aggressive for them. Yeah, I'm not sure really how I see this game. I, I just know that Orlando City's been a little bit of a different team at home than they've been on the road, and that they've they've been able to you know minimize the damage in some of these some of these matches. But the power outage is concerning, and I don't see a real good answer on the right side. I see a, a team that is not getting its fullbacks forward in a and using a formation that's predicated upon getting fullbacks forward. I don't see. Luke Bowden doing it on the left side, and I haven't seen anybody do it on the right side, and you know since before Ramos's injury, so you know it's going to be a challenge. They may have to play directly to Laren, um, and the defensive midfield has kind of uh, hit a bit of a wall the last few games. So I, I really have a hard time seeing us keeping Chicago from scoring two goals. So I'm unfortunately going to predict a two-one win for Chicago. Um, I just. I'd love to say that this team is going to turn it around, but until they do it and prove it to me, I, I can't go out and put my my good name <laughs> out there. <laughs> I can't put my you know sterling reputation for for you know spot on predictions on the line for them for the way they're playing. But uh, so anyway, you know our predictions are always wrong. So I hope my two to one uh, prediction of a Chicago win is wrong. So do I. <laughs> so I, there you I, have it. We'll. Uh, <laughs> I just hope that neither. Seren or is it no Seren's missing this game is it Rivas and Hagida that are both on cards too so I'm hoping that they manage to avoid missing the game after that too 
That would be nice. I just don't see us avoiding cards because that's just not who we are right now. Um, Higita will definitely get a yellow card. We know that's going to happen. Is he already back on yellow suspension watch? I believe so. (laughs) He just missed New York a few games ago on a suspension. So, I mean, has it even been four games since New York City? I guess it has maybe, but man, um, yeah, it's... He's a young guy. Young guys are fiery and, um, you know, don't always make great decisions. And, you know, teams have have certainly uh, taken advantage of that against Orlando City this year. Anyway, we are hopeful. Um, In Inchi, we trust. We're going to go to the Citrus Bowl on Saturday hoping to get a victory. And, of course, uh, the mainland will bring all of the the action your way. We'll have uh, uh, myself. I'll be there. Alan Etzler will be there. uh, Gavin Eubank. Uh, Austin David will be in the house, and we'll have photographer Nick Leva as well. Nick's, uh, Nick's back from his his uh, off-season break. He's back to school, so he'll be there to take uh, some awesome photos for us. We'll have a nice photo gallery. So, um, Andrew, Dan, thanks so much for joining us here for episode uh, number 26, I think we're on, of the Mainland Podcast as we uh, head into our final game of August. Man, we're, we're down to just two months of the season left, and... Um, Every three points is like gold, and uh, we we certainly are looking for some gold on Saturday. So for Daniel McGann and for Andrew Harrison, Michael Citro here signing off from the Mainland Podcast, Episode 26, saying, Go City!